In this talk, I'll be talking about essence and personality. I shall begin with essence. Put succinctly by Maurice Nicole, a man is born as essence and this constitutes his real part, the part from which he can really grow and develop. Essence is everything a man is born with, everything he can call his own, inclusive of his physicality and his inherited psychological potentiality and tendencies. Essence is the first stage of man, and it begs emphasis the part from which he can really grow. However, there are, of course, with all things, caveats. What are these? Essence can only grow by itself up until the age of three or four. After this, personality takes over, mechanically. For man's essence to grow further, personality must form around it. Essence is internal to personality. Personality surrounds essence. Personality, as it grows, forms a thicker and thicker shell around essence, so that nothing can reach it directly. Personality is foreign to essence and forms itself around it, as I've said. And so, as a child, one becomes not themselves, they become something other than who they are, which is essence, giving themselves over to the mechanical allure of personality. What is personality, then? Personality is everything which has accumulated around essence in this thick shell. It is a collection of habits, habitual postures, opinions, notions of normalcy, societal suggestibility, socio-cultural mimesis and imitation. In time, personality even has the ability to colour one's instinctive likes and dislikes. Personality also includes various other ideas from the work, such as buffers, attitudes, identification and negative emotions, which I will look at in later talks. As soon as a person begins to be educated or conditioned, often at a very young age, personality begins to take over. People begin to imitate those around them, copying methods of work, habit and function, copying even the emotional habits of others. We are educated and conditioned, especially in the West, into personalities which indulge in negative emotions. A child may choose to rebel against an education of such imitation, hiding the traits of their essence. But this rebellion equally forms itself as a personality. It becomes simply its own form of mimicry. One's surroundings may also have an effect on the balance of essence and personality. City dwellers, succumbing to the most modern of habitual updates, may develop a greater, more complex personality than those found in the countryside, and this may be the reason we often find these people more genuine, quote-unquote. A strong personality means only that such a person is strongly influenced by what is not their own. Nothing can penetrate them because they have built up a great personality shell. And so those who state that they are strong in their personality or much to deal with in this way have simply succumbed to a greater form of mimicry and are actually further from themselves than others. Essence, unlike personality, is simple. But in its simplicity there is a crudeness. It is straightforward. Personality, on the other hand, is complicated 
And as it grows in its own justification, it becomes only more complicated and complex, often to the point of deception whereby one's own personality holds its own apparent virtue. And those who in their personality hold some other virtues, such as love of neighbour or love of man, don't actually have such a feeling, but truly essentially desire something other, such as domination or power, and this is in their essence. Personality grows rapidly, sort of as a parasite feeding on everything, such that, as Uspensky states, a man of middle age may have the essence only of a young boy. Likewise, the relationship between essence and personality can be a strange thing. A man may be, by essence, an introverted and quiet individual. But his personality may lead him to a life of attention and sophistication, making his life difficult and unhappy. Personality is a deceiver, a conjurer of illusions, a form of hypnotism. The prime influencer of man's sleep. And yet we cannot treat these essence and personality dynamics as a hero and a villain, respectively. It would be easy to state that essence is everything that we should be abiding by, and that personality is everything we shouldn't be abiding by. But this isn't true. For there may be that which is violent or dangerous or hostile in one's essence, and that within the personality which actually allows one to function in life. And the work emphasises that the work is to be undertaken in life, and not in some form of ascetic ostracization. It is the personality's relation to our essence, and its function in relation to individual improvement, which is key. The relation here is that, contrary to various other systems of thought, the personality is actually key to development. It is not seen as a useless hindrance, but the useful hindrance. The thing to be worked through and with as the means, as the fuel. And so the formation of personality around essence can be considered the second stage. If the personality lacks depth, if it isn't rich, if it is weak, and there is little fuel to help further growth, then we will struggle. For we need material to work with in our development. If there's nothing to question, then there is nothing to find answers from. Before anything then, before any development can take place, man must be competent in life. He must to a certain degree have developed his personality to a level where he has this resource from which he can assess himself, observe himself. He can neither be a bum, a lunatic or a madman. He must be in control of his life in a practical sense. That is to say, in the second stage, after the first stage of the development of essence, in the second stage where he has developed this thick shell of personality, he must have become stable in life, competent, able to actually assess himself in this way before he can even begin to peer into the third stage. And so what's the third stage? The third stage being the actual stage of development whereby essence grows at the expense of personality. In order for essence to grow, it needs to be fed. 
food which takes the form of a new kind of knowledge, such as that found within the work. The complexities of the situation arise, however, in the fact that this new knowledge needs to pass through personality to reach essence. Remember, personality is a thick shell. So even though it may seem that personality is primarily to the detriment of man, when we look at the root of evolution for, more, for man, it's clear it does have a key value. For firstly, personality needs to grow at the expense of essence, so that we can function in the world and within society. We imitate and mimic that around us so we, that we can function in the world as this competent person who can go to his job, who can socialise with others, who can do what is needed to be done, who can render unto Caesar. Then work begins and personality is rendered more passive as we begin to try observe ourselves and know thyself. And finally, essence learns from, from personality how to grow. For due to the fact anything new must pass by way of personality, it is from there which essence draws its lessons. For beginners, to differentiate between essence and personality is very difficult, and Uspensky states that we should assign everything we observe to personality, accepting that little comes from essence. For we do not know ourselves. And in the sense that we learn from personality, we learn from these things called buffers identification, mimicry, negative emotions. We notice that these are all mostly, primarily held within personality. So as our development passes through personality, the essence is allowed to learn from the reactions and emanations of what happens in personality, how to develop itself. But it is only in that observation of that, which I get to in a talk on self-remembering, where development can begin. The growth of essence, however, isn't planned. It, it is something which takes place internally as the falseness and illusory nature of personality begins to fall away. A changing being of such a form that new life is brought inwards. A true change. And change is not possible in a unification if man remains the same in the sense that he believes himself to be a unified I, how can he change because he cannot become other than he is? And so in relation to this change and this idea of observing personality, we have to think back to the centers and the eyes and think back to the fact that we have to realize and observe separate eyes. Change cannot come if one believes they are a unified single person. There has to be that which obeys and that which commands both within what we consider to be ourselves, but entirely divided. If you'd like to take these ideas seriously and sincerely, please find information in the description below.